Well, this morning we are continuing our series, What Do Christians Do? We're in our fourth week in this series. In the first week we talked about the idea that Christians gather. And then the, the second week we talked about the idea that Christians scatter. Uh, last week we spent time talking about what it means to soak in the presence of Jesus. And so we looked at this account of Mary and Martha and talked about soaking in the very presence of our Savior. This week we want to look simply at the idea that Christians sacrifice. That's what Christians do. We sacrifice. We want to ask, what, you, what, what do you do as a Christian? Well, Christians sacrifice. Now, i got to be honest. Sometimes we have a wrong view of sacrifice. When we think of the word sacrifice, we, we think of, interestingly enough, the, sort of the idea of something from maybe pagan mythology where like uh, offering up either a human sacrifice or an animal sacrifice because there's this sort of pagan god who is raging angry and sort of some, the slaughter of some human being or some animal causes, you know, that, that human being or causes that angry God to not take all his wrath out on everyone, sort of, uh, you know, just that's uncontrollable rage that's appeased. But, you know, it's really interesting in the gospel, what we like to talk about is, is we don't like to talk away about the idea of the wrath of God. We don't just throw it to the side and say there is no wrath of God. But the beauty of the gospel is that in Jesus, all the wrath of God was poured out on not, not on us, to we who deserved it, but rather on Jesus. And so for the Christian, everything we do flows out of the gospel. And let's never mistake this. As a Christian, we don't do the things that we've been talking about to pour in and, and say, well, if God will accept me if I do these things. These things flow out of the gospel. Because God accepts me in Jesus, these are things we do. The idea of sacrifice is no different. We don't sacrifice to cause the gospel to happen. We sacrifice because of the gospel. It, it, it's, the, it's a difference between this. So imagine that you lived out in the country and, and you had a nice uh, kind of farm area where you've made part of it, your yard and then you got farmland all around you. So just imagine that. And imagine you were sitting there one day on your back porch and you looked out and you thought, you know, what would be really nice in my backyard is if I had a stream running through the backyard. That'd be great, you know? I, thought that, I mean, how cool would that be? So you think, how could I make a stream run through my backyard? So you start to, to process this, and you think, you know, what I need to do is really create uh, upland. I need, I need to re-landscape the entire area so that the water flows into my yard. So you pay, and you have some giant machinery come out to move dirt and to create sort of this wetland area where the water is all diverted. So when it rains, the water comes through your yard and you get a stream started. That would be one way to do it. Another way to do it would be to find a natural spring that's in your yard and tap it so that the, the water flows out of your yard. One thing is you're creating some water to come into your yard. One thing it's there and you're taking it out of your yard. That's the difference in the way we look at sacrifice as a Christian. For many of the world, they talk about sacrifice as something we do to get God's favor to pour into our lives. But really sacrifice isn't something, because of the gospel, it flows out of our life. Sacrifice is something that we do because God is pleased with us because of the gospel. That is why Christians sacrifice. And that takes us to Romans chapter 12. 
Romans um, is such a great book. It's really the seminal work of the Apostle Paul. As Apostle Paul, I think uh, this, this work, this Romans, is kind of his treatise on the gospel. It's, his, it's kind of his ultimate work, you would say. And, and he put this together for the Roman Christians. And the book of Romans is this master explanation of what the gospel is. And so for the first 11 chapters, Paul has laid out a theology for the, uh, of a case for the gospel. He's established that we're all sinners, that we all are in desperate need. He's also established that God sent Jesus to be the propitiation, Romans 3 says. That's such a great word. Or the atoning sacrifice. It means what I talked about earlier. All the wrath of God on our sin is poured out on Christ instead of us. And it's through faith that we attain this sort of righteousness. And so in Romans, Paul has established this great mercy on God that even though that we are all steeped in sin, even though that we are all deeply affected by our own sin, and which one of us doesn't know our own sin? I mean, I'm keenly aware of this, that, that, that I am a sinner. And yet the grace of God, the mercy of God, doesn't give me what I deserve for that. No, Jesus took that. So this is what Paul has been doing in Romans chapter 1 to 11. He's been laying out this case for the gospel. We have a need that we couldn't meet. God met that need in Jesus. In this great mercy, God did not give us what we deserve. He gave it to Jesus what we deserved. Instead, he poured out grace upon grace on us. And so in, that's how we get to Romans chapter 12. So therefore, he says, I urge you, brothers... In view of God's mercy. In other words, listen, in everything I've just been talking about for the last 11 chapters, in view of this great mercy of God, it's because this mercy has extended us, we should now look differently. And so Paul's going to talk to us about really three concepts that I, I want to lay out for you today. And the first concept is this. Because of this great mercy, first we should be a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. Now, on the one hand, sacrifice sounds a great idea. It, you know, it's altruistic. It's a dad giving up his afternoon of the NFL uh, to go to the park with his son, right? I mean, it's like, you know, as a lover of sports, uh, I, you know, that's a sacrifice. Or, you know, it's a wife saying, I'll sacrifice my time with you, honey, so that you can go out and spend some time with the guys. Like we think of sacrifice as kind of being altruistic like that on the one hand or admirable, you know, even the idea of one person sacrificing their life for another. And so on, on the one hand, sacrifice kind of sounds alt altruistic and good. And, but on the other hand, really it's kind of morbid because it does come from the idea of animal sacrifice. One thing giving up its life for another. Uh, you know, on the other hand, sacrifice is like talking about blood and death. In the Hebrew sacrificial um, system that we looked at all throughout the Old Testament, this is what sacrifice would remind them of. They wouldn't think about a dad sacrificing his time watching sports for his kid. They would think about an animal being slaughtered. You know, the idea uh, is that of the spotless animal in the, in, throughout the Old Testament, that this perfect animal, the spotless animal, could temporarily, his life, giving of his life, that animal's life could temporarily take away or cover over the sins of a person. And that was the picture that was established in the Old Testament. But then we get to Jesus. 
And Jesus is not just a temporary sacrifice. The writer of Hebrews tells us very clearly that Jesus, his bloody, gruesome, awful death was the perfect sacrifice. And so that's why we don't slaughter animals anymore. Jesus' sacrifice was perfect. So, so just so with Jesus, this Hebrew idea of sacrifice is over with, right? I mean, it seems like we can just throw away the idea of sacrifice because in the Old Testament, Jesus is now the perfect sacrifice. We don't have to sacrifice animals anymore. So let's, and Paul has just established this in the first 11 chapters of Romans. So let's just do away with it. But Paul says, I'm not done with the image of sacrifice yet because there's still a place for sacrifice in the life of a Christian. God's mercy is all about Jesus' perfect sacrifice. The question is, Our response is to be a living sacrifice. Look at the second half of the verse. In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. I mean, just think about this. Paul flips the idea of sacrifice on its head. When we think of sacrifice and death, he says in life we can be living sacrifices. It's just, it's so counterintuitive, the idea of a living sacrifice. No, sacrifice means death. But what Paul is saying here is, no, the way we respond to the sacrifice Jesus made for us is to be a living sacrifice. In my mind, when I think of sacrifice, I have the biblical image of Abraham and Isaac. You might remember the story where God told Isaac, I want you to go and sacrifice your son, your only son. Abraham said, you know, like, you'd think in his head, Abraham would said, God, wait, this is the promised son. Like, you promised me this boy. This is my son. You, you promised me a line in the gener- and this is the only son. And you said, this was going to be the son. And you're telling me to go kill him. And so uh, you, you remember the story that Isaac um, and Abraham, they go off. And Abraham, Isaac was a teenage boy with his father who was a hundred, over a hundred years old by this time. And they walk up to the mountain and there, they built, Isaac builds an altar. And to think, I always thought, thought about this fact as interesting. There is no way Abraham in a hundred years could have forced his son up on that altar. Isaac had to obey his father and crawl up on the altar. That's the image that I get when I hear Paul say, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. It means we're all in. Just like an animal was presented and slaughtered, so the Christian is to present his own life, all of him. Instead of our life being taken from us, the exact opposite happens. When a Christian crawls up on the altar offering all of himself, offering all of herself, when a Christian does this sacrifice, our life is not taken from it, but rather it is given to us. I mean, that's what the resurrection does. The resurrection of Jesus flips everything on its head. So sacrifice now becomes not about death, but about life. It means we're all in. Paul is saying, be a living sacrifice. Put all of you on the, crawl up on that altar with all of you. Not just part of you. Don't leave a toe on the ground. All of you. And we understand this idea of all in, don't we? Whether it be uh, you're watching a poker tournament on TV and at some point some guy goes, I'm all in, pushes his chips right to the middle of the table. Everything, I, I'm all in. I mean, we get it. Uh, you know, a husband and wife at, on their wedding day, they, they, they say their wedding vows to each other. And, and when they do that, they say, I'm all in. All of me. Or it's a slave telling his master, um, I'll serve you for life. 
willingly. Or uh, maybe it's a pro athlete telling his team, I've just signed the contract. I'm in to play for this team. You fill in the amount that works for this team. Maybe all in. Like I'm here. We get this idea of all in. And that's what Paul is saying. Offer your body as living sacrifice. In other words, as a Christian, the proper response to the sacrifice of Jesus is to be all in. Every part of it. This is your reasonable act of worship. That's what he says. Be living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship or reasonable act of worship or regular act of worship. It all means the same thing. What Paul has here in mind is, uh, again, jumping back to the Hebrew system of the worship of God. Paul is jumping back. Remember, uh, the way it worked is that in the Old Testament, God assigned priests to serve in the temple. And those priests had a regular act of service. When, they, when it was the high priest's time or when a priest's time to perform the function, they had a service they did. It was a routine. And when priests served in the temple, they had a regular act of worship. Here's what Paul is saying. You are a priest And as a priest of the Most High God, there is a regular act, a way that you can regularly worship God. Just like the priest had a routine, so you have a routine. And that routine, that regular act, that spiritual act, is to be all in, all the time. To be a living sacrifice that comes alive. Now, this doesn't come naturally, does it? To be all in for Jesus does not come naturally. At least it doesn't to me. Because we compartmentalize our lives. And we just do this naturally because we're people that like to keep our options open, don't we? We like, how, we like our options. We don't like to be all in in one compartment. You know, it's like, uh, you know, you're thinking about keeping our options open. It's like a diversified investment portfolio, you know? I mean, isn't that what an investment manager would say? Is you don't want to be all in one sector in your financial investments. You want to be spread evenly so that if one tanks, you're not going to take the whole portfolio down with you. So diversify. In other words, keep your options open. Imagine this. You went to your financial planner and said, you know what? I just got my hands on some amount. Let's see, $900,000. I got $900,000 and... Uh, and the, your investment manager would probably be very happy with you. They, you know, you're entrusting that to, to, to her. And, and you might sit down with her and she might go, okay, here's how we're going to do this. And, and she's got a plan and she's got it all diversified before you, your investment plan. And you look at her and you say, you know, that's okay. But I don't want to diversify. I just found about this yo-yo company. And uh, yo-yos are going to be the next great thing. You know, it's all about yo-yos. We do different kinds of yo-yos, and I just think they're the rage. Let's put all of it in a yo-yo company. And your investment broker might look at you, and she might go, I don't know what to say to that. I mean, it would just seem so counterintuitive. Don't diversify. Be all in one thing. Here's what Paul says. Do you want to be a living sacrifice? Be all in with Jesus. But with Jesus, we tend to diversify. We say, well, with my Christian friends, I'll do one thing. But in my neighborhood or with my coworkers, that's a different thing. Or my marriage is hard and I'm tired, so I'm taking that back from Jesus. He can't have that. Or I'd like to keep my options open, you know, and so, or I'll be obedient to Jesus when it's convenient or makes sense to me. Or I'll think about Jesus on Sundays and when I go to life group. 
But outside of that, I, I like to be diversified. Living sacrifices don't deserve diversify because we're all in on the altar. There was an old preacher that I used to listen to, and he would regularly scream, <laughs> yell, pound the pulpit, quit crawling off the altar, he'd say. Because he knows that what he's like and he knows what we're all like. You keep crawling off the altar. Paul says, be a living sacrifice. Well, now, that's hard. So how do we do this? How do we be all in? How do we stay all in? How do we be a living sacrifice? Because the living sacrifice, like we said, is counterintuitive. How do we do this? Well, Paul continues. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. So if you want to be a living sacrifice, the first thing you do is you be transformed by not conforming. Don't conform to the pattern of this world. This is going to make sense in just a second, but you have to understand one of the forces pressing against us from being living sacrifices is the idea of conformity. Um, so at Waukee Community Church, you know, we have a high-tech special effects budget here, and so... Uh, I grabbed some of my kids' Play-Doh, um, which uh, apparently they like to mix all the colors together. So <laughs> we have a mound of something that doesn't look very nice. But, you know, I, I was looking through and they had all these molds uh, in their Play-Doh container. You know? and, I, and I was like, you know, this is kind of the idea that Paul's talking about here. Is This is a purple dinosaur, not Barney, but a cool purple dinosaur in the nest. And, you know, when, when we put the Play-Doh in the mold and you press it in, Right? It's going to come out looking like a dinosaur. And sometimes we think about the world and our lives like this. Paul is saying there's a mold or a pattern to this world. And sometimes we feel like we're being pressed and squeezed into this mold. Almost like it's, you know, it's like this painful thing. Like, like we're going to, I mean, because really we don't want to be a purple dinosaur. But uh, alas, there we are. And so we feel sort of like this, that this world has a mold. And while I'm trying to fight it, nevertheless, it's pressing me and squeezing me. And I keep, by force, I'm, I'm being pressed on and, and worked out. And, and, and I don't want to be conformed to this world. But it's working on me. But that's not the reality of it at all. The reality of it is you and I are jumping into this mold. We're not being pressed and squeezed. We don't even know we're in it. Nobody wants to be a purple dinosaur. And yet here we are. We function and live in a culture that breathes conformity. I bet we could talk about the ice bucket challenge and find a whole lot of people that have conformed, right? Good reasons, bad reasons, who cares, right? But all you got to do is look on social media and there's a whole lot of bucket challenges. Uh, we sometimes don't, and not that it's, I'm not slamming the bucket challenge. I'm just saying, we live conformity. Like here we are and we're jumping in this mold because we live in it. We live in this mold of conformity. You wonder if you're being conformed? If you're not making an effort to not being conformed, you're being conformed. Think about the things this world says, and I bet you, you've uttered some of these phrases. Have you ever, ever ordered the, uh, uttered the phrase, I just need some time to focus on me? That's right out of the self-absorbed culture of our world. Have you ever uttered the time, you know, you really deserve that regarding shopping or vacation? That's a rationalization. If we understand our rebellion against God, we understand we don't deserve anything. 
Um, if you've ever uttered the phrase, it works, if it works, do it. It's pragmatism right out of our culture. Um, or how about this? If it's right for you, that's okay with me. That's relativism, re- relativism right out of our culture. Or how about this one? And now I'm going to make some people mad. Family first. You ever hear that phrase? Family first. I was watching a TV show uh, this week, and uh, I bet that was mentioned three times in this particular show. You do everything for family. Family first. Family first. But when we hear the words of Jesus, we're reminded that that's not really a Christian worldview. Luke 14, 25, large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, here it is, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Anyone who doesn't carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Jesus isn't calling you to abandon your family. It's a call to say the kingdom of God is more important than even your family or your children. The world says family first because family is all it has. But the Christian says, no, I have something more important. Our culture has invaded our thinking. We have become conformed. And we've done it willingly. But Paul says, if you want to be a living sacrifice, here's how you do it. Don't be conformed. What's the text say? But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be conformed, which is effortless and easy and happens to us without us even knowing it, but be transformed, which is hard and takes work. See, Paul knows that being a living sacrifice is not easy, and so he says it's important that you allow God to transform you. I mean, this world's stuffing messages into our head all the time. I read recently um, uh, on a uh, 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 survey review by the Nielsen Company, who does TV ratings, that the average American watches five hours of TV a day. That's the average American spread across the board. And the thing is, we think, oh, it's those teenagers, right? The, uh-uh. the, the least amount of TV or media consumption happens by teenagers. It increases exponentially as you get older. The amount of time you spend a day watching TV. Now, is the enemy TV... No, but my point here is if you think I'm not being conformed and you're watching five hours of TV today and you give an hour to hearing the word of God preached or maybe 10 minutes to devotions, like don't be fooled into thinking you're not being conformed. It takes effort to be transformed. You need your mind to be transformed. You have to be intentional about it. Transformation just doesn't magically happen. You need your mind to be transformed, not conformed. It's one of the reasons why we keep talking about this map of transformation. Um, we've been talking about it. We're beginning to be rolling this out in the fall. And we, you've seen this map a lot. We've talked about it. You're like, I have no idea what to do with this, Dave. But you've talked about it a lot. And that's okay. At this point, we're just talking about it. But it's just simply this idea. is If you want to be transformed in the renewing of your mind, it doesn't happen alone. Um, It it happens through God's spirit, God's word, and God's people. That's the fuel that that makes all this happen. And it starts by just asking an honest question. I mean, maybe the question this have I been conformed to this world? And then we connect with our identity in Christ. And the truth is I'm not a child of this world, but I'm a child of the living God. And then we embrace or we invest in God's solution. And we say, okay. I know what the scripture says now. 
Here I'm going to wrestle with other people to help me come out and be transformed. And lastly, we engage, that's engaging others in the process. We say, I'm going to take someone with me and do this together. This is the beauty. We say we need to have our mind transformed. It doesn't just accidentally happen. And this is not a program. This is not a new curriculum. You know, I mean, we've tried curriculums before. We've, I've got, my shelf is littered with curriculum of things that we've tried and, you know, Half the people like them, half the people hate them. I mean, every curriculum you're going to have, somebody's going to like, somebody's going to hate. This is a model to say engage God's Word with somebody else. There's some questions. Uh, Pastor Jeff and others have been working hard to develop some questions that go with asking an honest question. If you don't even know what question to ask, here's some ideas. Start with this. And you just get together with someone and you say, I want God to transform me by the renewing of my mind. Because transformation takes intentionality takes intentionality. I have a friend of mine who in the last year has lost 55 pounds, and uh, it's pretty impressive. Um, If you would ask my friend David, say, how did you lose 55 pounds? I guarantee his response would not be, you know, I don't know. I don't know how I did it. One day my pants just fell off. I was like, what happened? No, he was intentional. He made a effort to say, I am going to be absolutely diligent to see this transformation happen to me. It was intentional. Nobody is transformed in the renewing of their mind accidentally. As Christ, if we want to be transformed into living sacrifices, it doesn't happen accidentally. To be a living sacrifice, you must be an intentionally transformed sacrifice. And that's why we exist at Waukee Community Church. We believe that the only way to transform this community for Christ is to be transformed ourselves, and we know how hard it is. We get it. We get it. There could be a lot more ways to sort of draw a crowd, but we're in for transformation because we want to be living sacrifices because that's what Christians do. We sacrifice. We crawl up on the altar, and Jesus uses us to transform the world. Last year, uh, for the last uh, 12 months, has been all, really all about vision. We rolled out la- last year about this time, our new vision statement. We're bringing people together to live, love, and give like Jesus. We rolled out our, our four values, which you can only see three of them right now. But uh, we rolled out uh, um, our four values, and, and, uh, and we rolled these out, and it's been all about vision. We talked about um, uh, our five-step plan. If you have this handout that should have been in all your bulletins and this financial plan, you're going to see some things on there that I want to talk about. Grab that real quick if you have that around you. Um, on the front of it, you see our five-step plan. And this is just to, to say, how are we going to be transformed, not conformed? How are we going to cast a vision? And we said, these are the next five things we're going to do. We're going to, first of all, stop and we, last fall, you remember, we prayed for 40 days together. Every day at 4 o'clock for four minutes, we stopped together and we prayed. And we talked about walking the map in this last year. Uh, one of the things we did was we said, well, we want to begin to learn and talk about how to walk that, walk that map of transformation. And so we threw that into process. We also hired Claire Johannesson to uh, oversee our little life ministry. And Claire has been developing a group of people that uh, it, uh, if you go down that hallway, you just see some awesome things happening there. And it's been really neat. In the last uh, 12 months, we started the middle school ministry which has been a lot of fun, and we are seeing uh, students come who have nothing to do with Waukee Community Church, and we're, re- and we're talking to them about the gospel. 
We've increased our partnership with organizations outside of Waukee Community Church, like Young Life and Young Lives. Now, we set out a bold budget in February, a budget that was, most people would have looked at and said, you guys are crazy. Uh, we started, we've been continuing faith in action, going to people. Instead of just saying, come here, we went to them. Um, we started Alpha class. And we, and all, we said, hey, you know, here is an environment where if you have any questions about their faith or you want to say, I, I, I want to uh, be rooted in my faith again, uh, you can come to Alpha class. And they had, an, this spring, they had an incredible time. And they got to bring people together to live, love, and give like Jesus. People who had, again, nothing to do with Waukee Community Church. And some who did. We, be, we have done a lot of stuff over the last 12 months. It has been a busy 12 months. And together as a church, we've, we've bitten off a lot because we really believe in bringing people together to live, love, and give like Jesus. And so 2013-14 was all about vision. 2014-15 will be all about transformation. That's why this verse goes so well today. We could sacrifice by being transformed. We believe the only way to transform this community for Christ is by allowing ourselves to be transformed. And Jesus uses us to transform this community when we give him ourselves fully. It's one of our values. Transformational relationships. There it is right there. Transformational relationships. This is one of our values at the core of who we want to be. To say we're going to be bringing people together to live, love, and give like Jesus through the relationships because we care about each other and we're going to be invested and involved in each other's life. We're going to be transformed together. And one of the ways that we're going to do this is through NT60. Pastor Jeff already talked about it uh, today, but, um, it, you know, I realize this is a cell phone abyss, so you may not even be able to text a message right now. But later on, I encourage you to text and get signed up so that starting September 8th, you can start reading through the New Testament. Many of you in this room have never read through the entire New Testament before, or let alone in a period of time like 60 days. How good this will this be? to do it together, to do this together. Um, it, you may have seen this thing in your uh, bulletin as well. If you're uh, not tech savvy or don't like texts, uh, here's all printed out. On the one side is the reading and on the other side is a prayer to go with each day. And uh, if you look here, this kind of gives you a big picture of what to read through in the New Testament as you're reading through. It's like, I look at the book of Matthew and I think, what's this about? And you can see who wrote it, when it was written, who it was written to, and sort of the main ideas about each thing. Sometimes this is just a little tool like this can be really helpful. Um, but take that, put that in your Bible, use it. It's a resource. We are serious about being transformed in the renewing of our mind and we want to do that together. As a prequel to walking the map of transformation, maybe you want to do that with somebody else. Maybe you find someone else and go, you know what? After I read my reading every day, I want to text you and I'm going to tell you one thing I got out of it. Or maybe uh, it's, you know, hey, uh, when we're at Life Group, uh, let's talk for a few minutes just about what we learned in, in reading this week or how God's changing us and transforming us. And it's a great idea. We want God to transform us so we can transform the world for Christ. And we want to do this as a church. In a, in a little bit, uh, we're going to have our annual members meeting. And uh, if you're a member of Waukee Community Church, we uh, really strongly encourage you to stay around because uh, it's important that you uh, see and talk through uh, this financial plan. 
with us, but uh, if you are not a member, you are welcome to stay. You just don't get a vote. Um, but we would encourage you actually to stay for the meeting. It'll be about, a ha- I hope, about a half hour um, of your time after the service. But if you were to look at this financial plan and, and if you were to flip to the back of this thing, uh, I, I want to talk through a little bit about what it would mean to have a transformed community. See, um, what we have what we kind of came to realize is that our elders began to talk about this, is that, you know, we could do status quo. Like things are rolling well and there's a lot of good things happening and we can do status quo together. Um, and this is what it takes just to serve. There's a survive mentality. A lot of churches run their budgets based on that. Well, you know, what sort of what's the minimum we can do to sort of get by and survive. But we don't want to survive. We want to thrive. And in the next year, we prayerfully would like to see our finances expand to include these three things. On the back, you can see, um, we want to continue to bring on additional staff to help this transformation process. Um, it, it, it didn't take a whole lot to, for us to realize real quickly that um, middle schoolers, that area of our community is just hugely in need of someone. And, uh, you know, there's only so much that uh, I can do and uh, others can do. And this could use the focus of someone, uh, of a part-time person to help with that. Um, We also uh, talk about this idea of kids' life. And, and, you know, uh, um, our desire is to have children, to partner with parents to help children be transformed into the image of Christ. And so if we were to, we were thinking, if we were to thrive, we'd love to add someone like that. Um, under facility, we, we would love to have a more permanent facility than we have right now. Uh, the reality of it is we spend about $61,000 a year on leasing the two facilities that we use, this place and our office. And that's a lot of money. And what if we were to add to that and we were able to lease somewhere that was more permanent for our, for our church, to have a more permanent presence in this community? And so we started to talk about what if we were to, you know, just take our lease that we have already and just expand it a little bit. And so what if we were, it would help us to thrive and to, to provide a little bit more permanent presence in our community. And then lastly, what if we are serious about partnering? This doesn't always have to be just about Waukee Community Church, but we're serious about expanding uh, our partnerships with other like-minded organizations. And so uh, these things we imagine, this would be what it would look like in the next year to thrive. And so uh, at the meeting, um, Jeff Johannesson, uh, who's our financial guru and elder, uh, will be talking through this financial plan a little bit more detailed. But if you go to the inside of this form, you can see it right there. Um, on the right-hand page, on the interior, you'll see some, a bunch of numbers. And those numbers have two categories. There's the survive column, and that's what it would take just to survive as a church, to do what we're doing now. Um, and then there's a thrive plan. And in that thrive plan, you can see the areas in red off to the side. Um, and those things would be added in that plan if we would reach this goal. Now, what's fascinating is that on the left-hand side of the page, you'll see a really nifty little bar graph that uh, I didn't make because I don't think I have that ability. Anyway, uh, what we've done in that is said, okay, the reality of it is is that um, the administration piece looks really big in the right-hand column. But, but that's a lot of things. That's staff. That's office. That's utilities. That's sort of the the, the in the right-hand column, that's a way to look at it functionally. But what if we were to split that out and to talk about how these, how our staff people and how our office and how our facilities are used to 
be a partner in the gospel, to invest in the next generation, to gather for worship, to walk the map, to increase our ministry capacity. If you were to split out that first category and tuck it into all the others, that bar graph kind of helps you understand how every dollar you give would be spent, both in a survive category, to, to survive what we're doing now, and a thrive category. And this is one of the things that we're, we want to be talking about um, We've been talking about it at life groups. Pastor Jeff has made his way around to every life group um, to talk through uh, this, this plan and these issues. And when we look at all this, we think, what would it take to thrive as a church that wants to be a transformed sacrifice? We want to be transformed so that we transform the world around us. We don't want to just survive. We want to thrive together. And we can do this. And that brings us to the third point in this message we want to be joyful sacrifices. We don't want to just be living sacrifices. We do. We want to be joyful sacrifices. We become living sacrifices by being transformed. And when we become transformed in our minds, we become joyful about sacrifice. That's what the last part of verse 2 really says. Look at it. It says, Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. You know, there's a joy in pleasing God. Isn't there? I mean, sometimes we think, you know, okay, I need to go out and look for a way to sacrifice. If I'm going to be a Christian, I need to sacrifice something and I'll probably be miserable and it'll probably be awful. And what way can I really suffer so I can say, God, look, I'm really suffering for you. But that's not what Paul says. Paul says a living sacrifice that is a living because we've been transformed is a joyful sacrifice. Sacrifice now becomes not about suffering, although that happens, but it becomes about joy. There's a joy in this. Having a transformed mind is a joy because we please God. Obedience brings joy. Sacrifice brings joy. And you can see this. For us to go from survive to thrive in this package, it will take sacrifice from all of us. But it becomes joyful because we can do it together. Um, on the bottom you can, of that in, in, inside, you can see a, uh, an arrow diagram. And it's just simply this. What would it take? We have 60, currently 63 to 65 families that call Waukee Community Church their home. And, uh, and so what would it take if we just took 60 of them and said, uh, what would it take each one of us to go from survive to thrive? And you can just see it there, right there. If every family gave just over $100, we would extra per month, we'd be at thrive. Now, some of you would say, well, there's no way I can do that, Dave. That's okay. Oh, what can you do? To help us. Because some of you are going to go, you know what? I've never been, um, I've never even thought about really taking the challenge to contribute monthly to the work of Waukee Community Church. And what if, you know, I actually started with this crazy thing and I did a whole percentage? I mean, God's going to, 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 God's going to call some people to give more and some people to give less. And it's not about how much, it's just about God calling and challenging us. When we're transformed in our mind, we accept crazy challenges because we want to do it together. And see, some of you are like, oh, Dave's talking about money again. And that's all churches ever do is talk about money. Listen, I've heard about it. We didn't talk about money for the first seven years or eight years that I was here because, I, uh, because people balked at it every time we tried. This is not just about getting money. This is about doing something together. 
because we recognize that we don't want to just survive. We want to thrive and see our community transformed. And we have to be transformed. It's about doing something together. We can thrive to be transformed and become living sacrifices that transform. And I can't, I can't express this to you enough, how much I think Waukee Community Church is just a really special place. Like, this just really is a special place. And I, sometimes I think that because we live in a culture that, that um, determines the success or failure of a church by their attendance on Sunday morning, and, and since there are bigger churches out there, obviously what the, some people think that, that means is the other churches are more successful. And I just throw that out the window because I know this church cares about transformation. And when I look around, this, not only is this church a family that loves and cares about each other, but we really do want to bring people together to live, love, and give like Jesus. Waukee Community Church is a uniquely wonderful place. We care about the kingdom of God. We care about being part of that, becoming like Jesus. We have never been, felt pressure to be, uh, you know, like more polished. <laughs> We've never believed that a program or a building is what transforms lives around here. I've never felt like we had to have a smoke machine to be really cool or to have a stage or really cool lights or, you know, like a, a pastor that never screws up. You know, like we have never had that pressure. This is a really wonderful and special place because we care more about transformation and we want to. And I love that God is priming the pump right now in our midst to say, you know what? We're not going to just be a church that is internal and likes each other. We're going to be a church that is transformed and goes out to the community around us. And I watch it, and it's just happening. Uh, it brings me great joy that our fourth largest attended Sunday in the past 12 months was Faith in Action Sunday. I mean, we had Easter and we had a baptism. It might be the third. Our largest attended Sunday is the Faith in Action Sunday. Because our people said, no, we're going to go. We're going to make our time to go out to our community, to scatter together. We're going to do this. This place is really special. And we want to bring this message of transformation. And so when we do this, it is, a when we become living sacrifices by being transformed to transform, we experience this kind of great joy. And the world would look at this and think that we're crazy. The world would look at the kind of sacrifices that we make because we believe so heavily in the gospel and we would want to be living sacrifices. The world looks at that and thinks, you guys are crazy. I, I talked to somebody um, who, who doesn't necessarily attend our church, but uh, they were talking about their meeting with their financial planner. And because they're in retirement, their financial planner told them, you're giving too much of your money away. You have to stop. The world thinks it's crazy to sacrifice. Um, I talked to a teacher who, um, you know, this teacher really views and invests and, and believes that their ministry is to their kids that they're serving. And one of their coworkers was telling her, you, you spend too much time at, uh, with your students. You need to go home and do family first. And this teacher was telling me, she doesn't get it. I'm not going to sacrifice my family on the altar of ministry. But what I am going to do is I'm going to teach my children that my job, my ministry to these kids is important because I'm being the kingdom wherever I am. The world doesn't understand things like that. It doesn't make sense. 
But when we're living sacrifices who are transformed to transform the world, it's really a thing that is, brings great joy. So sometimes, Christians, we drive, out, we drive places that are out of our way are scary because we believe in being a transforming influence in our culture. Sometimes we give our time when we don't have time to give. Sometimes we do crazy things like quit jobs that are off mission to take jobs that are on mission. Sometimes we leave comfort and safety. Sometimes we say no to our kids. We, sometimes we say no to them and we say yes to valuing and prioritizing God and our family. Sometimes we make hard choices that the world just doesn't understand and we do it joyfully. And I've been struggling to figure out how to wrap up the sermon today and the best way I could come up with to encapsulate this idea is to look to our Lord. You know, I, I don't think, I know that Jesus didn't look forward to the cross. In fact, remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, Jesus wept and he said, God, Father, if there's any other way, let's do it that way. It was agonizing. But what we learn through the Apostle Paul later on is that Jesus did this for a specific reason. For the joy set before him, Scripture says, he endured the cross. To be living sacrifices, it's hard because it's intentional and we have to be transformed. But it's for the joy set before us. We're all in and there's no better place to be than with our Savior. We're going to sing in response today. We're going to worship our great God. And before we do that, would you pray with me? God, we don't want to be conformed any longer. We long to be transformed. And we know it's intentional and hard, but joyful. So for the joy set before us, would you allow us the grace to be living sacrifices? Because we can't do this on our own. We can't just try harder. But we can be intentional, Lord. And Holy Spirit, would you give us the courage and the power? Would you give us direction? Would you help us to know that good, pleasing, and perfect will of God? And together, God, would you help us to see our community transformed because you've transformed us. I thank you that it's already happening all around. You are a good God. We pray this all. In Jesus' name, amen.